Hello everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is January 24th, 2022. And we come together each week uh, to provide a platform for Triangles workers throughout the world to participate in a meditative visualization in the support and strengthening of this planetary network of service. And we also come together to introduce this planetary service to people who are new to it and to encourage them to form triangles. And so if you're new to this work, welcome. And if you would uh, like to find out more about triangles, you can go to our website, triangles.org. And you can also then, if you'd like to form a triangle, place your name in the chat box and we hope that two other people on the webinar will agree to form a triangle with you. So just to say a few words about triangles, it was founded in 1937 in the endeavor to unite like-minded men and women of goodwill in a simple spiritual service to humanity, a service of great effectiveness. Triangles work is done by units of three people who link together in thought and with purpose each day, uniting mentally with all other triangle units throughout the world. And through this means, a network of mental power and radiation is created within the planetary etheric, which can be used to communicate the energy of goodwill between all peoples of the world. Through this subtle form of communication, a communication of spiritual energy, a pervasive climate of light and goodwill is generated, which helps to influence human attitudes of mind and heart. Triangles workers set energies in motion, which unite and relate peoples of all nationalities, all creeds, all colors. It's a subjective atmosphere within human consciousness, and it lifts and illumines all those who can respond to spiritual stimulation through the daily use of the great invocation, which is an essential part of the triangle's work. So again, this work only takes a few minutes each day and can therefore be fit into even the busiest of schedules. So we encourage you to join and we encourage you to participate each day in this work. Today, as we usually do after our um, visualization, after our meditation, we will have a presentation by a Triangles member, Frida Kemp. She's a longtime student of Ageless Wisdom, and she studied with the Center for Esoteric Studies. And she's a former instructor and mentor with the Moria Federation for many years. For the past five years, she's been studying with Tetrada Ashram School of the Four Rays of Aspect in Russia. And she's written a short booklet, The Spiritualization of Money, a Great Spiritual Asset. And she teaches classes in spirituality and leads regular full moon meditations online from her home in Toronto, Canada. So we will welcome Frida and she will be speaking on education in the new age. It's it's a follow-up to her earlier presentation on the same subject. 
So now let's come together um, and work with our brief uh, visualization as we do each week. So let's visualize the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. And within that sphere, let's visualize a triangle composed of the three primary planetary centers, Shambhala, the planetary head center, spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, and humanity, the planetary throat center. Visualize these energies circulating and flowing in all directions around the triangle from point to point, merging and blending the three points, filling the triangle with light. Now superimposed upon that triangle, visualize the five-pointed star of the world teacher, linking east and west, past and present, radiating the energy of love wisdom. At each point of the star, the sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. Visualize the energies radiating forth from the center of the star through the five points. London. Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo, visualize these outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity, solving its problems, creating right human relations, restoring peace on earth. And as we sound the mantra, let's project a rainbow bridge of energy towards the spiritual hierarchy. Radiance we are and power. We stand forever with our hands 
stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. Um, this past week, someone wrote into the trust about asking about the final phrase from the Great Invocation, which speaks of the restoration of the plan, wondering what this means. We can all ponder such questions in the light of our own understanding, and it's important to do so. For as the invocation states, it is humanity's destiny to act as the bridge or mediator, the means through which this plan can work out. So it's our responsibility. But what does this concept of restoring the plan uh, mean? It can be confusing. Does this phrase imply that there was a time when the plan was working out more fully than it is now? Does it mean it isn't working out now? First, it's important to try and understand what the plan is, um, which isn't a challenge, it's a challenge. The plan is understood as a type of blueprint, uh, we might say, that's held within the consciousness of the masters of the wisdom, but the plan itself emanates from higher source. And this blueprint surely is somewhat fluid uh, that the masters hold and it's adapted to the shifting needs of humanity to the different nations of the world and the different times and seasons. Yet underlying all these outer manifestations of the plan in our world lies its underlying essence, which is held within the mind of the Logos, that great being who ensouls our planet. He has held this plan in his consciousness for eons of time, ever since he came to embody the raw material of this planet millions of years ago. And he'll continue to hold this plan within his consciousness for eons of time to come. So the plan takes a long time to work out. There's a well-known description of the plan given out in the teachings, which describes it as being related to a subjective synthesis and a telepathic interplay that will eventually annihilate time. So the essence of the plan is safeguarded, it's held protected, and it's meted out over a long, long 
period of time in response to the shifting consciousness of humanity and the shifting consciousness within the world. This plan has been hinted at and tapped into by visionaries throughout time who have brought through a measure of its majesty. The Great Invocation states that it is through humanity that this plan must work out. It's up to humanity under the impulse of those members of humanity who are learning how to build the needed forms to anchor the divine ideas that are working out at any particular time in history to do so, to work, to build, to embody the plan so that others can come to understand it and cooperate with it. Today, because of the stage reached within human consciousness and the coloring of the available energies, human responsiveness to the plan is accelerating at a tremendous rate. And as is being demonstrated through the sheer weight of public opinion at this time and the focalization of right human desire. We might say that the invocation itself holds perhaps the key to this word of uh, restoring the plan. We could say, and we know that the invocation is composed of seven symbols. Tibetan calls it seven ancient word forms that are found on the inner planes of life. And he tells us that there's a marking in these archives next to these seven word forms that indicates when this invocation will be needed. And that indication, as we understand it, is now, not just this year, not this decade, but this period, this entry point into the Aquarian age, that's when the invocation can be effectively used by the human kingdom to restore the plan. And I've often thought that the seven word forms that embody the great invocation on the inner planes are perhaps synthesized in the final line of the great invocation, working out through these seven words, let, love, light, power, restore, plan, earth. They seem to embody the ideas contained within the whole invocation. And they're encapsulated in these words. And so perhaps we could break it down even more and state that the word restore contains the intention underlying the giving out of the great invocation at this time. And perhaps along with the word let, which is an active verb which makes the restoration possible. Restoration is not about creating something new, but rather uncovering or bringing to life that which has ever existed, but which is not seen, being instead covered by the many swirling thought forms, the glamours and illusions that permeate the lower planes of our system and block this underlying plan from our view. It reminds me of a phrase in the teachings which states that that which is to be revealed lies all around us and within us. And surely that is the plan. 
the work of restoration is undertaken by those who might be doing a spiritual work that is similar to an art restorer or an archaeologist, those whose task it is to remove all the dirt, dust, and the coverings that have accumulated over the centuries of beautiful works of art, sculptures, archaeological artifacts. And through this means, these workers uncover and reveal the beauty of these objects, trying to restore them to their pristine nature. So too, workers in the world who are attempting to spiritually cultivate an atmosphere, which is aided by the work of Triangle's workers, to restore this plan that is ever held within the consciousness of the Great Ones to outer livingness. In order to contribute to this restoration work, each of us in our own lives can seek to lessen our preoccupation with our own little plans that too often take up too much space within our consciousness and instead subordinate them and merge them with this greater and larger plan and find through that means that aspect of it that is working out through our help. There's always an aspect of the plan to which we can all contribute. It appears that humanity is now moving more rapidly in its ability to contribute to this restoration work. Much is being uncovered, much is being brought to light. And this is so encouraging. It shows that we're doing our work. We know that house cleaning is a major prerequisite for the reappearance of the world teacher. And this house cleaning, this removal of the dust and dirt is the work of restoration so that the rule of law, the founding principles upon which our nation and indeed our world were established can be upheld and honored. So now let's, let's work with our meditation. Let's integrate ourselves as a group focusing upon the mental plane, breathing together, linking at thought as a soul, as a point of love and light. With all those people throughout the world who are working with this triangles, meditation group. So we project a line of lighted energy towards the highest center of the spiritual will and sound the affirmation of the will. In the center of the will of God, I stand. 
Naught shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize this triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love, which underlies and infuses the network. Now lift your consciousness to the world teacher who stands at the heart of love, at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle. Precipitation. Visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network.
Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness and establishing right human relationships. Again, lift the consciousness into the periphery of the great ashram and sound together the mantra of unification. The sons of men are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. distribution, sounding the great invocation, silently or aloud. And as we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, as a channel through which light and love and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God,
Let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. And now I'd like to welcome Frida. Hello, Frida. Hello. Thank you, Kathy. Hey, welcome. Thank you very much. And welcome for everyone. And uh, thank you for um, joining us for this, uh, which is the second in a series of four talks on this theme of education in the new age. And I've titled this particular talk, The Next Step in the Mental Development of Humanity. So Alice Bailey wrote this book. Oh, not quite really. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, she wrote this book, um, of course, um, through her, the help work, um, bringing through her master, Joel Kuhl. Uh, it was published in 1954. And it, um, it really... Um, as, as Kathy was talking today about the plan, this is like the master's vision of what education could be like uh, in the new age. So it's very much that template that uh, Kathy was just talking to about. Um, in the last talk, we looked at three keys to development of this uh, new method of education. And that included the teaching of meditation, uh, developing group consciousness through bridging cleavages and developing a sense of service. So these three things were deemed to be key to the development of the sort of consciousness uh, that is necessary for the new age or the uh, new civilization to come into being. So I'd like to just invite everyone, uh, if you haven't read this book, um, to do so. I'm going to see if I can now put into the chat the links uh, so you can get the book. Let's see, did that work? 
Um, yes, there you go. Um, it's available on the Lucius Trust website. Um, it is, you can do it online if you like, or you can purchase the book. And uh, I see on the website, it's also available uh, via Kindle. So it's as, as books go from Alice Bailey, this one is very accessible. It's not very long and it's fairly easy to read. So I'm going to uh, exhort you all to go and get the book. Okay, next slide. Thanks, Kathy. So what is the next step in the mental development of humanity? Oops. So for humanity to make this, what I'm gonna call successful transition into the Aquarian age, we really do need new methods of education. And these new methods must recognize this Aquarian impulse and gradually move from the more what we'll call regimented and rote methods of learning that we've seen during the Piscean age to one of group learning, inclusiveness, and the sort of synthesis that we uh, expect to see during the Aquarian era. So in today's talk, I'm going to talk about this next step and how it will help humanity to strengthen its creative and intellectual capacities. Uh, and these particularly pertain to what we consider now to be esoteric teachings, psychology, astrology, and the law of rebirth. Next slide. So humanity itself uh, is what we term astrally polarized. So what do we mean by this? We mean that humanity feels more than it thinks. It's reactive and essentially at the mercy of powerful thinkers that seek to steer its course. Some of these, of course, are good and some of these are not so good. And we can see this as we observe people's reactions to various problems and crises like the pandemic. We see a few people who express an opinion. They could be considered experts. It's amplified through mainstream media and social media. And then many people then co-opt this opinion. These could be also political leaders. They co-opt the opinion and it becomes their own. And so then we see a kind of dangerous sort of groupthink uh, develop. And then people um, become what I call more like gangs of thugs, pummel those who don't agree with them, rather than thoughtful, intelligent people who think, research, and develop their own considered opinion, and then debate with others in a respectful manner in order to achieve understanding and hopefully synthesis. So this is where we're at right now. We're like these fish swimming in this astral ocean. Next slide. So Alice Bailey gives us a few suggestions or hints uh, on how we can shift humanity or help humanity make this shift from being astrally based uh, to being a little bit more sensible or mentally based. And the first thing is through psychology. We need to better understand ourselves. And this is really the gift of psychology. It provides a more adequate and less religiously based method of understanding and studying human beings and the human condition. Alice Bailey tells us that when the various schools of psychology can come together, then the real science of the soul will emerge from this synthesis. We also have esoteric psychology, which is the science of the rays. And this will help to shed light on racial and national differences by looking at the various forces that are vying for expression. 
when the five rays of each individual are understood, and by this we mean the physical, emotional, mental, personality, and soul rays, then educators can tailor the education approach and provide better indications or direction for vocational training for the individual. And finally, when we consider the constitution of man, we can better understand the soul and how it's expressing through its various vehicles. And all this means that teachers or educators can tailor the type of education for the individual. Next slide. Then we have esoteric astrology. So by looking at a birth chart and developing also a ray chart and looking at these every seven years, educators can then develop this individualized approach for each person. In the text, Alice Bailey talks about children, but what is true for children is also um, equally true for adult learners. So I encourage everyone to get their chart done. If you haven't had your chart done, it is certainly worth it. And also to build a ray hypothesis for yourself. This way you can understand the astrological and rayological forces underpinning the behavioral tendencies uh, and get to know yourself a lot better. Next slide. And the other topic that needs to be considered is the law of rebirth or what we call reincarnation. We often look at some amazing children, some people call them indigo children, or even at our own children and wonder where the heck did they get that talent or ability? Everything come from me. Uh, so we're always surprised when these um, amazing children just seem to burst forth with amazing singing voices or art abilities. And it's by looking at these inherent differences in skills and achievement that we can determine the sorts of talents, talents and traits that are brought over from previous lives. Now, it's said that uh, we recapitulate our previous or lifetimes and also the skills or our current uh, point of on the path uh, up to and including the first 25 years. And from then, we are starting to work forward into the existing lifetime. So this is a key piece of understanding. And without it, we really don't know or we can't really understand humanity or, or a specific individual um, the way we should. This isn't really about looking into past lives or, or doing past life regression. It's really just trying to determine what is the point on the path or the evolutionary status of each person. And then what talents or skills uh, do need to be uh, brought out and uh, put to use in this lifetime. Next slide. So this new type of education that we're talking about is going to call, call for more from all of us. And let's begin with parents. Um, parents will need to provide a loving and supportive environment and be full of patience, compassion, tenderness, and calm understanding. At the same time, they will also need to provide structure by creating an atmosphere of ordered activity to allow the child to blossom to their full potential. Parents will need to set aside the Piscean methods of using guilt, sin, coercion, punitive actions, and wrongdoing as a way of controlling their child's behavior and learn to reason and provide clear understanding of why rules and limitations are met. So I'm sure we can all look into our own parenting styles and see did we or even uh, our parents' styles 
and see, did we ever use any of these methods, um, including, um, you know, hollering at or saying no or don't uh, to our children? Uh, I'm sure we did. Next slide. Then teachers. Teachers will need to become psychologists. Uh, they'll need to develop a full understanding of the child's hereditary, social, and economic position. They'll need to look at their nationality, their mental and emotional equipment in order to guide him or her successfully. These future educators will examine problems or problems, educational problems, um, on the basis of instinctual reactions, uh, the intellectual capacity, and the eventual intuitional potential of each and every learner or, or child. And to this will be added uh, what Alice Bailey called an ordered unfoldment with the emphasis on the lower grades on right reactions in high school, in developing and controlling the mind, and in post-secondary unfolding the abstract thinking process and the student's intuition and creative capacities. Teachers will, um, and this may be a criteria for being hired as a teacher in the future, but they'll need to demonstrate that they're free from racial and religious prejudice in order to be able to teach. Finally, students. Uh, students, um, currently we teach children to be good citizens. Uh, we prepare them to be wise parents. But in the future, a student will need to learn to begin to control the emotional nature, uh, to develop the capacity for vision, and wisely handle relationships. They'll need to take responsibility, to apply common sense appropriately, and to think abstractly. In short, the student of the future will have the ability to penetrate into the core of ideas, to develop understanding and see unity. They'll be able to build synthesis from a range of competing ideas and facts. They will understand causes and how effects are produced. These young people will be born with a sense of group rather than individual identity. Not just good citizens, these young men and women will be culture civilized and connected to the whole. I'm sure we're all looking forward to that. Uh, next slide, please. So this future education will be centered in goodwill and right human relations. And it will primarily look at how the individual fits into the greater whole and how they can contribute their unique talents to improve that whole. The lens will be one of world citizenship. And with this in place, deeper subjects such as an understanding of the soul, of reincarnation, and of unity of life can be broached. And the more advanced students will learn about connecting with soul through meditation, becoming sensitive to impressions, and eventually develop uh, skills that we wouldn't even think of now, things like telepathy and continuity of consciousness. And that's what we have to look forward to. Next slide. And finally, international cooperation. In a way, we have this already, but it would be 
hopefully be taken to a new level. We begin this by not destroying what's already there. We already have a really good education system in most, most countries. We don't sweep that away. We simply begin by gradually grafting the new onto the old, emphasizing the new ways and gradually dropping the old methods that are no longer served. And we can think of these uh, things like corporal punishment, uh, regimented seating arrangements that you see in many classrooms, memorization, uh, and I think the whole idea of the authoritarian or even the military model, which is sort of creeped into our schools. And then by developing an international system where new approaches can be shared. And next slide, please. So I say next step is enlightened humanity, but through this approach, to education, we can move humanity from being from their current uh, position, uh, being astrally polarized to one of mental, what I call mentality. By fully understanding an individual through the tools of the esoteric sciences and using them to develop a tailored educational program, this new approach to education can hasten the evolutionary and mental development of the individual, and then as it's adopted more widely for humanity as a whole. This is education for the new age. So I'm gonna stop here. This is the uh, end of my talk, but I do have one more slide. And this slide is an example of an educator, the silly, I can't say the last name, Sukolinsky. Sukolinsky. He was a Ukrainian teacher uh, who taught almost and wrote a book almost um, at the same time that Alice Bailey was writing her book uh, in the 50s. He founded a school called, that he called the School of Joy, and he wrote this amazing book uh, called To Children I Give My Heart. I'll, I'll post it. You can actually just download it from the internet. It's available as a PDF. I'm just going to put it into the uh, chat right now. But I, I like this because when I read the book, it was like he had intuited or he simply came right out of the second ray ashram to bring these new educational ideas um, in. It was directly after the Second World War when many children were totally traumatized. They'd been right in the middle of, of the conflict. Uh, their parents may have died or been seriously injured. Um, they probably could hear bombs or, you know, weapons, um, see troops coming and going throughout the war. There was a lack of food. Their parents may have not had jobs. There was a tremendous amount of turmoil. So he took to instruct, he was the principal at a small elementary school, and he decided he was going to take a completely different approach to education. And what he did was he, first of all, got to know each and every child really, really well. He took them out into nature and he only, his lessons weren't lessons. They would just sit in nature and be with each other. And he would gradually introduce ideas like stories. He'd, he'd tell a folk tale or he'd get the children to tell a story or they'd look at a bird or they'd look at a fish. Um, so his method was all about, you know, intuitively, I think, bringing out exactly what we've been talking about today putting the child at the center, understanding that child, learning about them, helping to heal their trauma, and then helping them to uh, bring out their, their specific gifts, their point of view, 
their ideas. So it was quite revolutionary at the time. And, um, you know, I just put it forward because sometimes these ideas, they're simply uh, there in the mental plane and they become downloaded by um, impressed or uh, innovative educators um, like this person, Bessie. Okay, it's time for me to talk, stop talking and hear from you. <laughs> Um, please, uh, if you want to, unmute yourself, ask a question, make a comment. You can also do it in the chat. And we'll start talking about some of these ideas. Thank you so much, Frida. I'm really touched by so many of the things that you said. Um, really, it's so uplifting to visualize in our minds these new schools. And this example that you gave is is wonderful. As some, as someone pointed out, it's also reminiscent of some of the ideas from the Waldorf education. Yes. Mm -hmm. It just seems that there's, you know, so much of a a backlash in the other direction. Um, it's going to take an effort, primarily on the part of teachers and parents, to really shift back to allowing children to grow, you know, naturally. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, challenging. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, somebody said mindfulness education, too. Um, and yes, um, a, a friend of mine who's also here, Mark O'Connor, uh, we were in another group and we were talking about uh, school nutrition programs or school programs. And we were talking about, um, you know, making the child the center of everything. And um, having groups come together to collaborate and cooperate, but do it in a very child-centered way. So that, mm. uh, and also including or listening to what children want rather than assuming from an adult perspective and, and simply, oh, we think we know what you need and here it is. Yeah, that sounds a lot like the way Montessori approached it, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes, she's very child-centered, but creating like independence in the child, which I think could really help people help their kids to move beyond technology addiction, you know, mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. cultivating themselves as individuals and applying themselves to something other than phones and tablets. Yes, we have another one here in the chat, um, which um, is from Duncan. Um, and he's talking about the Scandinavian uh, UDA school outdoor education. Uh, and he's also put a link there. So that's uh, really interesting. So, you know, we see these things. Uh, Montessori and, and Waldorf schools have been around for quite some time. I think one of the things that we should talk about in a way is these, these schools have been wonderful models, but why hasn't um, education um, sort of moved in that direction. In other words, mainstream ed education seems a bit sluggish in terms of adopting some of these approaches. Uh, and we certainly are nowhere near what uh, Alice Bailey described uh, in 1954. So we're now what's, um, more than almost 60 years later. And we're very, we haven't, I, I see like we're stalled in a way. Yeah. That would be my thought. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the same model that Duncan's talking about, but I did a, a brief study of the school system in Finland, and the entire country is basically on a 
a similar model to a Waldorf school in, as, at a, as a country level. They oh, wow, put, that's very impressive. They put a lot of training and work into teacher training, and the whole system is pretty amazing by our standards. Yeah. Yeah, so, so they're doing that, positive. but they need. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> they need to. Um, it needs to be more widely known and understood by other educators. Yeah. We have another comment here from Gary. He says the idea of teachers perceiving children as different levels of consciousness requires parents who are in tune with this concept. Uh, otherwise, great resistance can occur. Yeah, we do have this going on. You know, we always um, have this idea of. You know, in, in Canada, we call it streaming, uh, where children are, say, forced into vocational training uh, in high school. And a lot of parents do object because they feel their children, their child isn't given full opportunity. Um, so there's definitely going to have to be, um, you know, deep perception. Some of this streaming is simply classist, right, and, and, and racist in terms of its approach. So this is why... Um, Alice Bailey is saying, you know, this, these teachers will have to be free of prejudice in order to make this kind of evaluation. And then Matthew says, adding to your well-organized presentation, there's four objectives for education, developing an ability to question and think rationally about assumptions and conclusions that are presented by news media. Two, developing an ability to distinguish between reason and emotional automatic reaction. Third, developing creative imagination along with intuition. And fourth, uh, give students opportunities to study a particular world problem and think about how to solve it. And fifth, developing empathy, caring, and compassion. Yeah. And I can say that this uh, fellow we're looking at, Vasily, that was one of his goals. He could see these children being traumatized. Some of them were quite cruel, um, you know, killing small animals or torturing frogs, that sort of thing. So one of his jobs was developing compassion. In them. And again, he did this by helping them to care for small animals that they found or, or adopted. Um, so there was an app. Do I think homeschooling is good? The problem with homeschooling is that we've just learned that for um, children to develop uh, they need, they're going to come in with group consciousness. They're going to be, need to be together in, in with their fellows and their groups to um, amplify this natural ability to work in group. So I don't think there's anything specifically wrong with homeschooling. I think it just may prevent them from getting out there to discover and to be with their natural group. Uh, and then Santana says, thank you so much, Kathy, for the wisdom, read the plan and the world symbols underlying the vibrations of the great indication. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, incorporating esoteric sciences. Um, can, should I keep going, Kathy, on these comments? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, we have a few minutes left. Okay. Uh, so uh, then Leslie thanks us. Um, what you presented is also akin to Montessori. Yes, very much so. It is noteworthy that when... Hitler's troops marched into Paris. Dr. Maria Montessori and her circle of students dispersed, and Montessori fled to India, where she lived on campus at the Theosophical Society. Oh, that's amazing, yeah. Um, and yes, we certainly don't have enough teachers. That was from uh, Heidi. Um, and then some thank yous. Uh, we, and then this is from Lynn. We also must work with governments who set the standards and require testing of students. Yeah, this is the one thing that we talk about. You know, this is this is where a little bit of decentralization needs to come in. 
and less authoritative uh, control and approach from government. Um, the chaos, and this is uh, from Andrea, the chaos created at all levels of education because of the pandemic gives rise to the potential for changes, light emerging through the cracks of this disruption. Very much so. Um, I think I mentioned in another group, uh, just watching this video, it was heart-wrenching heart video of this young girl uh, in Britain who um, you know, was saying how the mask mandates and the lockdowns and the constant disruption just kind of for her destroyed the last year of her education. And kind of, she felt it was like destroying her future because of all these disruptions. So this is like, this pandemic is a little, little bit like a world war in the sense that students need to be, you know, lovingly reintegrated back into their school and into um, the work. And then Darcy talks about Robert Mueller. Yes, very much. He was a very much a, a, a leading um, educator and the school of the World Core curriculum. And she puts in about the coordinating center um, they use the global elementary model of the United Nations, and she's got the link there, and another service branch of the uh, of the Ageless Wisdom. So there's the link if anyone wants to check that out. And I think we're just about at the end here. Uh, Roz with us says very inspiring uh, from Kathy and Frida, and thanks everybody from Jeff. So I think that's it. If you want to wrap things up, Kathy. Okay, thank you again, Frida, and thank you everyone for your sharing. So let's just uh, come together as a group, visualizing the planet surrounded by a network of triangles. Ooh.